Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Lodge 49. Hello and welcome back to Streaming in Place. I'm not Allison Shoemaker. What's happening? Listeners, Allison is on deadline, so we will hear from her in a little bit. But for right now, I'm going to kick off our beginning of week 36 of streaming in place. And thank you to W for asking that we continue the week update as we just like slowly march towards the end of 2020. Like, fair enough. I respect it. We will keep doing that uh, just for you. Because like, yeah, I feel you. I feel you on that. This this week we're going to be talking about, well, today we're going to be talking about episode seven, The Solemn Duty of the Squire. Uh, and on Wednesday we'll be talking about episode eight. Um, but there's a lot there's so much to talk about in this episode, and I, I want to leave the big stuff for Allison. Um, so we're going to kick off with some of the small stuff, um, which for me, I'm curious, Noel, if you had the same experience I did, but I don't remember if you watched Parenthood. Did you watch Parenthood? I watched a little bit of Parenthood in the first season, and then I just dropped out. Do you remember how Parenthood ended? Did you hear about that or no? I don't even... I'm sure I heard about it, but I don't remember. Well, there was a celebratory game of baseball to honor okay. the life and legacy of a major character uh, okay. who, had, who had passed. Uh, in, in the last episode, that's how... If it's ever called, that's just... That's how the show ends. And okay. so when we get our baseball, our celebratory game of baseball for Larry, I was immediately reminded of Parenthood. And I checked the dates. Parenthood, it was the finale was like three years before this. Yeah. Something like that, two, three years. Um so I'm curious if I was the only one making that connection. It's very possible that I'm like the person who watched Lodge 49 and all of Parenthood closely enough to make that overlap. But I mean, I just expected Larry to wander out from the cornfield and be th- like, "That's let's, you know, let's play catch, son." It would be on track, right? That would be on yeah. part, you know. Especially if he was just like, "No, I'm fine. I got better." Like, well, come on, it's gonna take more than that. Larry, you know, keeps going. Um, I thought it was a lovely way to, to to show the energy of the Lodge and of Ernie, but also the kind of thing that feels appropriate to everybody in relation to Larry. I thought it was really lovely. What did you think of their, um, you know, in lieu of a funeral, their event for Larry? No, I think the event's great. And I think that the, I think that having like a celebratory thing, like what they do here with the baseball game, does a lot to also make the eventual reveal of everything that Larry's been doing with the books hit a lot harder than if you had done like a funeral, I feel like. Um, so I think that doing a commemorative base, uh, commemorative softball game with the, with the, the non-league, the non-league sanctioned game real quick, because mm-hmm. this doesn't count, um, was just a good way to do that. Um, and so, yeah, and plus we'd already had like a funeral already this season. So doing another one might've felt a little repetitive. So I think this was a smart play, uh, from the show to do it like that. And you get, you get some good visual gags. You get Scott just being real weird again. God, he's just the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, just like, why do you want to, why do you want to hit that old man? I don't care that he's crowding the plate. Don't hit the old man. Uh, so I, I, it's just, it's really good. And it, like you said, it really lets the energy of the lodge shine before we find out what we all kind of probably deep down suspected as audience members, that all of this is very bad. And Mm -hmm. Hey, it turns out to be much worse. Yeah. It's just really, it's very, very warm. It's Mm -hmm. very, uh, specific in a way that a funeral service would not have been. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't even thought of like obviously we had the memorial service so that you know very recently so that would have you know not worked unless they wanted to really draw on those parallels. But um, highlighting the the community. And the, like, even just through, like, this connection to this other group, this other team, like, they ha- there's an identity of the Lodge in the their larger Long Beach community that mm-hmm. now when you, you get all these revelations, that's all going away. It's not just, oh, this place that we've hung out, that's, the building's kind of interesting and cool and weird with secret rooms and everything. It's also, like, this thing that they do frequently enough that they have a standing baseball team that they have like an interleague rivalry you know like it's it's a very it's a much more it it hits a lot harder it's a much more specific thing than just like oh i won't have this cool place that we can hang out we can just go to we can just pick a bar and go to that bar instead Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a great point that idea of the community is really really important especially given the rest of the stuff about this episode which is like dud's big epiphany that he can just bring all the Orbis, former Orbis employees to the lodge to bring back this golden age um, that like all golden ages probably didn't exist in the same way that we think about it as existing. Like, yeah, sure. The membership numbers were really high maybe, but was it really like a golden age just because there were a lot of people there? Uh, well, debatable. based on that solemn protect, uh, solemn protector, right? Uh, sovereign yeah. protector. Sorry. Uh, it was, no, it was definitely not. A, he was a dick. It, was, it couldn't have been that golden. Of age. Yeah. Um, the, the Orbis thing, I'm very like, I'm, I'm puzzled on that because mm-hmm. like, what are they doing other than just hanging out? Do they have nothing else? To do, don't they need to like go get a different job and sleep in order to do? Like, I'm very puzzled about it. In the moment when I'm watching it, I don't care. But like, yeah, stepping back from it, it's it's very strange to me. And all, you also get the sense that like this is just the latest of many downsizings and loss of opportunity and jobs in this community that has happened. So, without that kind of stability, you know, if they can all join the lodge, if that's something they want to do, then that would be great. But they need jobs to be able to stay there and not have to like move or get you know find seek, seek other opportunities and we've seen orbis obviously closing we've seen the newspaper downsizing there's only so many opportunities in the in the community uh so i i, I guess i'm very curious about what's going to happen with that cuz i feel like there's another plot point that needs to happen in the next couple episodes Sure. And I think that makes sense. I think it's just a, these former Orvis employees see a chance to just kind of let off some steam. And this is how they're doing it. They form their own sort of lodge slash off de facto parabola group um, that is now just destroying property that's going to get shipped off for parts anyway. Um, So why don't we just make some trebuchets and do it ourselves (laughs) and really just let off some steam, Mm -hmm. which I think is great. It's a lot of fun, like watching watching Dud and Bob uh, drive through and dodge stuff on the cart is just delightful and set a new record. That's Mm -hmm. also that's a big one right there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that Dud can't find that room again, though, which is great. Like, that's just beautiful. Yeah. If it's even there, right? That's the right, point yeah. with the, the magical realism or not uh, of the show. Definitely. The I, I also really enjoy that the, the one other line cook is there. Like, oh, he's cool. Don't worry. He's, co- he's good. I vetted <laughs> I him. He's, it's all good. Uh, and, you know, that's if they can bring that energy, if, if Dud would, you know, gets the time 
this, the runway he would need to bring that energy to the lodge, it would be huge for them. But don't think that anybody's looking, even if without the two, if you waive the $200 joining fee, don't think anybody is looking to take on the, um, the mysticism and the, the baggage that comes with the mommy lodge, you know? So we'll see. I don't know. The, the other, I mean, speaking of baggage, the other thing that we can start, uh, diving in with is is Avery because I was not anticipating some of that uh, Marcus says I like how small everything is with the line cooks just showing up randomly somewhere else completely unrelated and yeah absolutely it gives that such a stronger sense of community it's also just great for a TV show with the the um, efficiency of characters mm-hmm. I, I, what is the, it, Econ- the right? character economy economy of characters I knew I had that I had that wrong thank you uh, no but for me uh, with Avery which is can be our next topic here uh I had forgotten that he was the bus guy. I had not connected that last sure. the, the, at the end of the last episode. If yeah, I had connected, he was, if I connected, he was the bus guy. I wouldn't have been like, oh, those are probably the scrolls in his luggage. And like, oh no, because he's the he's the bus guy. Um, so uh, I, you know, because I'm team I'm team Blaze, uh, and this like which feels weird and wrong to say. Because uh, that usually that name is associated with very different types of characters, but um, and this, Richard Blaze. Oh well, well, yeah, not that either. <laughs> um, so uh, I was, I was really, uh, I was very, de- I was very defensive of him this episode. Mm-hmm. And Avery needs to go away and never come back. Uh, how do you, how, how do you feel about uh, what we get with Avery here? Yeah, no, like you, I had not gone, oh, that's the bus driver guy at the end of the episode. Like, it just did not click. But as soon as I saw him in the dugout, um, I was like, oh, that's the bus driver guy. And I went, oh, it's the bus driver guy. That makes sense. That makes much more sense than some rando pretending to be the emissary. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, poor Jocelyn. We'll get to Jocelyn. Yeah. Um, God, poor Jocelyn. Just the worst. <laughs> anyway. All of that being said, I really do feel like you for Blaze. Like, it's just rough. Um, because he gets that moment of triumph, and then he gets this fake moment of triumph, that he's established this connection with someone from Lodge One, which is a big deal, and someone that really believes in him. But I like that it gets slightly... We get, like, a little bit of a turn in terms of... Avery still comes back and is just like, No, I think you can do this. And it will be amazing if you can. And you should join me slash us i will be here um setting up like whatever weird faction-y stuff is going on right now and that are just kind of percolating in the background yeah the um i i want good things to happen for blaze and so therefore i don't want him to get tangled up in avery's bullshit and whatever he clear because clearly he's a true believer. And yes. on this show, as in most shows, I do not trust the true believer. So uh, we'll see, you know, what happens in the next few episodes with all that. I imagine there's quite a bit yet to come. And certainly in this episode, we see at least one true believer validated in Ernie. Um, but uh, yeah, having I just you know, I think it's nice that he comes back at the end, and you get a sense that there's some level of authenticity to his connection with Blaze and you know that's good to see and have confirmed I also love by the way that the first thing Blaze says is like by the way I copied the thing I'm not an idiot so yeah you know because because that's the kind of thing that any character should do when they're showing their super secret thing they found to their new friend is already have made a backup but um but I just I I obviously don't trust him 
And because he's not a person anyone should trust. He's a, you know, he's, got a, he's a con man with a long history of conning people. But having... And the Lodges specifically. Yeah, the Lodges specifically. Um, but it's like, I, I, I have a feeling that before too long I'm going to be going, but don't you remember, Blaze? It's an allegory. It's an allegory. <laughs> uh, and Allison, you are you are back with us. I'm back. Hello. Hello. So do you have, first of all, do you have any thoughts on the baseball game? And our memorial to Larry. And do you have any thoughts on Avery or Orbis? Um, I mean, I love the role that Orbis plays in the show in general. Just like the idea that the the death of this um, industry can or company can loom so large over an entire town, I think, is really appropriate. Like, it really makes a lot of sense to me. Um, It's very American. so I love uh, their obstacle course. I want to know how many times they've done that. Um, I want to encourage Dud to keep looking for the sub-basement. There's always a sub-basement um, and a sub-sub-basement, probably. Uh, so I'm very intrigued by all of that. I had forgotten um, exactly how all these things start to interact near the end of the season. Um, I feel terrible for Blaze. Uh, although, Buddy, uh, I, I've got to say, I, I'm not sure you're really on your game if you're convinced by Heathshire on the fins in Lower Yorkingham. Um, <laughs> it's true. Which is not yeah. the most convincing lie I've ever yeah. heard. Yeah, that's um, true. It's, it doesn't, it's, it's not very convincing. Uh, it's bad. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not good. Um, but like you guys, I had also, and I've seen this before, not connected um, this time around that Avery was also the guy from the bus. Like, I just completely, I got so caught up by, oh, it's not Jocelyn, that I completely blanked on that. Um, so that was a fun rediscovery. Oh, I'm glad, because I was just like, Allison's just laughing at the two of us for <laughs> no. not putting that together. Nope. And- Nope. Nope. It's not the kind of show where when I'm thinking about it, I'm lingering on the plot details, right? Sure. So, like, a lot of that stuff tends to blur together, and I just find myself thinking about, you know, the rat in the pool filter, <laughs> stuff like that. So, Well, now that we're all chatting here, I think we have to go immediately to the most important part of this, which is Captain. And uh, I cackled. Called it. Yeah. You, you did. I, yes. I cackled at the beginning of the episode because one of the things that I think we get a ish on, I think we get a called ish on, is the fact that that beautiful Jeff can't handle the desert. No. And that's the first thing that we see. It was delightful. I was highly entertained. And yeah, uh, Bruce Campbell is captain. And that just feels just chef's kiss. Perfect. I've been very excited for you to get to that casting. Noel clocked it off the voice alone. So mm-hmm. he let me know that he knew who the captain was a while back. Um, so I've just been waiting. This is, by the way, the image that I didn't want you to see mm-hmm. um, was Bruce Campbell in the kiddie pool. So um so now I think mostly you're going to be fine. That and the tapeworm, um, the parasite. I, I uh, Those are the things I wanted specifically to not spoil for you in images. Anyway, um, yeah, it's just really inspired casting, I think. You set a character up to be that big. You've got to really lean into that casting, right? There's a a long list of actors who could do it, but they're all of like a certain, not even stature, just gravity. Like, like Robert England or like, mm-hmm. um, uh, or 
like Topol, right? Like somebody who's like the biggest in whatever they do or one yeah. of the biggest in whatever they do. Like l- you could cast LeBron James as the captain. You could. You could cast someone like that as the captain. It couldn't just be a really good actor. I feel like it needed to be bigger than that. And Bruce Campbell is a perfect example. And um, and wow, Gary. Gary, guys. Gary. Gary. Uh, Marcus says Bruce Campbell was the person I knew was in the show, but didn't know who he played. So Mm. there you go. Well, it also just, you see Bruce Campbell. And if you have any connection with him or his his star image or his previous work uh, on TV specifically, but just in films and everything, uh, that tells you everything you need to know about the captain. He's actually, he's a very talented actor who can do a wide range of things. I still like wish he would get cast to do more really subtle stuff. Like his, his, his turn on the X-Files is one of my favorite. He's so good on the Mm X-Files and that more subdued role um, of the devil. Um, But uh, like, like you see him and that you see the kiddie pool and you're just just like, that's okay. I know what I need to know. Now I am fascinated to find out like how we got there, you know, like this is the captain. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was very, I mean, I was very excited to see him in the kiddie pool. Cause I mean, it was just Bruce Campbell just owns that. He just carries it around with him and just plops it down wherever <laughs> he is. Um, and they just went, Oh, well we were going to do something else, but that makes much more sense. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. And I agree with you that, Everything we get in that scene on top of the casting um, of Campbell tells us everything we need to know about the captain. Even, like, the stuff that we do get with, like, this idea of him as this mysterious Wanda kind kind of deal. Plus everything that we get with beautiful Jeff, who is just milking that badly, being badly dehydrated so much. Just so much. Um, just like, buddy, you should have been discharged like a day ago. You're fine. Um, but no, apparently not. Um, nothing's too good for that boy. <laughs> the, his boss is being real creepy. Yeah. <laughs> he isn't getting a lot of rest. That just reminded me, I, when I was watching this episode, I wrote down like five different possible Zoom names. So now I got to put one on because it's, a, yeah. it's Beautiful Jeff related. So everything that Beautiful Jeff relays in that as well, I think just really builds it up. And Campbell as an actor with that star persona, um, feeds into all of that is like this kind of mythic super competent person who's deeply charismatic but you also just feel like there's this slight underbelly of seediness that you can't quite get to but you know it's there but Mm -hmm. he's very good at hiding it Mm -hmm. um and that's really campbell's whole deal and a lot of his work um and so just putting him into this is really really great so i'm very excited about it um so yeah it's great and i was i was very excited because as soon as ernie walked up to that trailer i just went oh dud's been working for the captain without knowing it for the past couple of days now and i'm just like oh beautiful beautiful because who would want to make that commute who would want to go to this weird land development thing that is just so beautifully quintessentially los angeles land development that it's in the middle of the goddamn desert and they're just like we can make this work because that's how california land development works (laughs) well and it looks like nothing is happening i Uh really i love this particular development because it's such a lodge 49 moment right because the real meat of the episode is 
also linked to Dud's choice and temp jobs, right? In that he's presented with two opportunities. One, like it's, it's, um, temp to hire. It's possible career for you. Like really solid. You, you weren't my first choice, but you got this great recommendation. So how about this? And then he's like, no, what was the other one? Oh, well, it's the one that I'm having a hard time staffing because it's so shitty and the commute is hell, but the pay is decent. Um, I think it decent. He was like, great. Yeah, I'll take it. So that is how he ends up crossing paths with Ernie in this way when really the overlap that really matters is that it's also the episode where Liz is like, sorry, career opportunity. No, thank you. Um, and walks the other way. So they, so it's that thing. And also Uh this thing as a result of the same goofy scene, which I think is just brilliant. See, but from like, you know, I think it's interesting because for Liz, she shoots herself in the foot uh, career-wise, and I go with her on it and understand, and and frankly, she's probably right. Uh, she will not pass the screening, so like it doesn't feel as much like she is uh, like she should still finish it out, just yes. you know, for future reference sake. But like, but she's not going to get that job. Uh, I I agree with her that she's not going to get that job because she's got, like, a record with Homeland Security. Right, exactly. It's just, it's Homeland Security. If it was just a felony with, like, the city or the state, maybe. I mean, you can massage that, um, depending on what it is, but Homeland Security? No. I'm so, I'm, I'm I'd be impressed if she could actually get on a plane. (laughs) And, but then Dud does a similar thing, and I just get so frustrated with him. I'm so frustrated. It's like, your car is about to be repossessed, you aren't paying down your loan, but you're buying a new TV, and then not having the wherewithal or energy or interest to just properly mount it, or even just place it on the, like, put it on something, lean it against the wall, and so you just, you shoot yourself in your already snake bitten foot. Allison's <laughs> making a face and I'm I'm wondering Ugh. about this face. Well, I do think that there is it's I agree, Kate. Dud is intentionally frustrating, right? Like you're having the reaction you're supposed to have, I think. However, I do think one of the things this show does well is like that's the result. That's what happens. But what he would tell you, the story he would tell is that he liberated Ernie's TV from the pawn shop. And then wanted to do a nice thing for him because there, he's crashing there. So he tried to put it back up on the mount where it was. And he thought he was doing it because he deserves better than to watch the game on that 12-inch TV. And then it all went haywire. And then all of a sudden he was being shot with a pellet gun in the ass. And and then nevertheless, Destiny brought them back together at the end. That's <laughs> Dud's version. And yep. it's stupid, but you can sort of see... Why it is that he thought? Why it is that he made some of those choices? the 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 big question is like, well, no, dude. Why don't you just stop working the nightmare jobs and work one slightly less nightmare job and be slightly more comfortable, and then you can actually do the lodge stuff you want to do? Um, that I think is the more concerning choice. But but he certainly thinks he's the hero of his story. Yeah. Just just take the energy to, like, go back to the library and print out some how to install a TV 
Step by steps is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marcus says also nine hundred dollars for a used TV. Look on a flyer, like <laughs> that's way too much money yeah. for that TV. Uh, you could get a new TV of the same size for much less than that. So but it wouldn't be Ernie's TV. It would, yeah, yes, exactly. That's true. That's, that's the point. Yeah. Ugh. Also, why would you uh, buy well, a TV from a pawnbroker for nine hundred dollars? That's just. Ridiculous. It's really dumb. It's very, it's not, it's not a good idea. Anyone. I'm not even talking about Dud. I'm just literally anyone. Why anyone. would you go buy a TV from this man? No. It's called, way too much money. Anyway. Yeah. Um, well, we've got a couple other things we should talk about. We should mention the possums because I, I'm with Dud on that one. Just yeah. Run. No, that's, that's a hard out. Yeah. You're out. Out for <laughs> yeah. sure. I'm uh, not those sure possums that the... own that trailer now. Yeah. It's gone. I think it's maybe that the next natural step is probably correctly to go try to to bunk with Ernie. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think there are other choices you could have made before holing up in the abandoned shop um, as, your, yeah. as your resting place. Yeah. Um, we should talk about Jocelyn. and Because we have not talked about the big reveal of, you know, what Larry has been up to and how he's been juggling all of these things and why he's been... Uh, why he did not want to retire um, and everything he knew was was headed his way. So uh, who wants to go first? I mean, I know things, so I shouldn't go first. Okay, so Noel, why don't you go first? What did you think of Jocelyn finally arriving, Avery's reaction, (laughs) and then the reveal? Uh, So I love Jocelyn's arrival in the lodge of he just assumes everyone knows who he is, which I think is just beautiful, Um, especially after the three days he's had of the demon child (laughs) stealing his wallet and his passport Um, and then being trapped by Homeland Security. Something he'll have in common when he meets Liz, because I'm assuming he'll meet Liz at this point, Um, because that's how the show works. Yeah. but then Avery just, I expected Avery to bolt the other way, but then running and pushing Jocelyn over the table and getting that beautiful pratfall. This show loves a good pratfall, which I really appreciate as a lover of pratfalls, because there's nothing more deeply satisfying than a well-executed pratfall. It's not as good as Liz's fall into the <laughs> table or as good as her dropping a bowl through the, the table in this yeah. episode, which was also just so good. I was like, don't do it. She knows not to. She did it. I'm so happy she did it. Um, so all of that, I think, is great. But I also think that the way in which and just the sheer amount of sensitivity that Adam Godley imbues into that scene where he's explaining everything that Larry's done and cooked the books is just great like it's really he legitimately feels terrible that all of this is about to happen uh despite all the horribleness he's just gone through to get to this point but that this the kind of low-key not even like polite sorrow just like legitimate regret that he's had to come here and deliver all this bad news after going through the books i think it's just really really great and really it's one of my favorite bits in the whole episode um just because of how honest it feels coming from jocelyn after all of this um the other thing i like about that scene is just that ernie had scammed dud on the other side of that desk the same way larry's been scamming all of them for years so i think that's just really nice paralleling as well um but yeah everything in that scene that godly does i think is just really really great um they're just gonna lose the lodge from that mega foreclosure or whatever 
ever make a payment that's due. Um, yeah, no, that was just really, really great. Uh, one of the things I love about what they do with Jocelyn in this episode is I, I always sort of <laughs> enjoy when you can tell that that a writer is having a lot of fun giving someone the worst day possible because it's just the pratfall obviously is the biggest example of that. But then when they finally take him to his room, it's the sheets haven't been changed. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, I thought we had clean sheets up here. Well, you did. Um, that's, that's because blaze has been getting some, uh, and is now traumatized. Um, so that's important. And then you get the mouse and then the cockroach um, just in the worst day that Jocelyn has ever had. It's very Charlie Brown and the football being pulled out. Um, I find it always that convention really satisfying. Um, I agree with Noel that the scene between Jocelyn and Ernie is especially potent because it's all wrapped up in the mysteries of the lodge. And obviously we still have questions about what Jocelyn's deal is, what the lodge's deal is, what all of that means, um, what Larry was actually talking about, how much of uh, Jocelyn's theory about what was going on with Larry is true. Um, and all of that is there floating on the top, but really it's about frustration and uh, empathy and loss and grief and all of these really good meaty things that you just get to watch these two fine actors dig into. I'm a really big fan of that scene. Yeah, it's um, Godly is really gentle. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great gentle, word. That's yeah. the word I was looking for. Exactly. Yeah. Gentle. That's what I wanted. It was gentle. And it, and it tells you a lot about him after the, the week he's had and you know what seems like not the uh, most uh thrilling and exciting life before then um it's certainly like he was gonna go on vacation and he had to cancel his vacation to go he was, he was gonna go to like a tennis tournament right? he's going to the the something but i think it was like a tennis thing right a high profile sport. Yeah, he, so. he was gonna go on a vacation that i i know is a thing from listening to podcasts and stuff with British people. Uh, like, it's like a significant thing. Um, and canceled it to so he could do this and then got harassed at, at the border crossing, at the, at the customs, had his, his money and his wallet and his passport all stolen, got knocked over by an imposter, <laughs> has to stay in a shitty room with like, you know, a dead body in the next, you know, like, and also the, the mouse and also the cockroach. <laughs> And his parents, not a good relationship there. And he still has space within him to be compassionate to this mm-hmm. guy. Uh-huh. That tells you so much. Um, and it's really like, because you, <laughs> it would be very easy for this development to be one of anger and frustration. And it's, 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 it's betrayal, but it's not anger. It's, you know, because... As you know, because having the baseball game in this episode also shows you, yes, what Larry did was obviously wrong and you know, and destructive, but he also gave them a decade, yeah, together that they wouldn't have had. And Blaze talks about how he was at his last rope when he met Larry, and Larry helped him like he didn't even know where he would be. And now he's clearly some level of successful with his business, he seems to be. Um, and Larry you know, like, got that job at the harbor, mm-hmm. like, like. He's helped people in his own way. So it, 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 even it's, a, you know, a, a house of cards that is now falling apart and there's a balloon payment of $300,000 and who knows what that, that's going to do to everyone else. Like it, yeah, all these other lodges, it's going to hurt a lot, a lot of people. Uh, so it's not, you know, what he did wasn't necessarily right, but it's more complicated than he's a con man. 
And Certainly I, I, the emotional yeah. response to that news would be more complicated than he's a con man, right? Like that's yeah. what I really – I think your point about beginning with the baseball game and then following it with Ernie's sort of quiet moment at the end of it is really important um, because then it makes the rage, the understandable rage – that much more interesting and his reaction to dud and what happens with dud in this episode more interesting and throw in his madman moment his betty draper shooting the crow moment and it gets it gets uh very dark yeah pretty dark um marcus says uh i feel like he wanted to, it to work correctly and then only pulled the con as a last ditch effort to save what he loved um yeah you can see why he made those choices mm-hmm. um yeah, the crow thing really struck me. Now, in the first episode, it was in the pilot, right? He was yeah. shooting near but not at them, and this time he shoots at, right? That's the difference? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if he, like, misjudged or what, but yeah, he definitely shot at. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So we'll see what happens. Crows learn, man. Crows are scary. I don't mess with crows. They're smart. They remember shit. Oh, crows are smart. It's either crows or ravens that will actively follow after and um both attack. of them do yeah yeah people that they've heard from other crows are yeah. bad <laughs> like you don't mm-hmm. even have to do it to them nope. they'll tell they their tell buddies people. yeah yeah no. don't mess yeah. with crows folks like this crows. if you take nothing away from this episode do don't not mess, mess with crows, with crows. <laughs> corvids man just don't mess with them oh god just this is what we should do okay top three most terrifying <laughs> birds quickly since this is lodge 49 our thing is apparently ranking things unexpectedly so i'll go first my most terrifying birds one crows for sure absolutely because of all, everything mentioned above and also like ominous symbol whatever science importance all of that stuff two seagulls seagulls you know what? No, no, no. I'm going to do lump. I'm going to cheat and say waterfowl because a swan will bite you. A goose will chase you into your car. A goose will like really go for you. And seagulls are not afraid of anything. Um, ter- just terrifying monsters. And then three is specifically this owl that flew directly at my head when I was walking through Portland um, a couple of years ago. Uh, it was sitting on a thing and, and I didn't see it. And all of a sudden Tom goes, holy shit. And it flew right over my head. Um, like, sw- like dusted me basically, Oof. and it was terrifying. Those are my three, Kate okay. All right. or Noel, uh, which whoever. Yeah. All right, swans will fuck you up. Yeah. So they're beautiful and gorgeous, but just like respect and give the distance. Yes. You know? uh, so there's that one. See, because I don't, I'm not actually scared of birds at all. I don't think they're scary, but uh, but like, I like you most also, birds. You got to wow. respect. You got to know when to like back yeah. off. Um, anything that is in uh, that is en masse. Right, any large, you know, the, the crows thing, crows. where they like you. Every time you turn around, there's more of them. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what kind of bird it is. And then, uh, then out for three. Well, my actual answer is dinosaurs, because you know what, respect. Yeah. yeah, but um, but if I have to pick an actual currently existing bird, um, that I guess I guess I could see the chicken thing because sometimes you have to pick up a chicken, you know. And yeah, and sure. the, the, like that's hard, and also you look ridiculous. But but more importantly, they will scratch and peck you. <laughs> Most birds, there's no reason you would ever need to pick them up or interact with them. You just like leave them alone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when am I interacting with a falcon? When am I interacting with like a hawk? Right? They yeah. scary, absolutely. You know, but like it doesn't come in, doesn't happen. You don't actually have to interact. But sometimes you might actually have to interact with the chicken, and if they are angry. You also can't, like, there's nothing you're going to do. You're not going to, like, tempt them with some food or something, like, you know. 
Marcus says, I once got dive bombed by a swallow when I neared its nest. That wasn't fun. Okay, Mark. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, not, not fun. Uh, Noel, your picks. Uh, so geese and gulls, like, yeah, you, you don't screw with geese and gulls. Those are at the, the top. Um, and I feel like they're legitimately scary and I have fear of them. Um, I don't feel corvids. I just respect them. And like, they're too smart not, they're too smart not to like respect, basically. Same thing with yeah. octopuses, by the way, because octopuses yeah. are actually really intelligent. If they live longer, we'd have a problem. Uh, <laughs> the, and then, um, so, right, those were one and two, I guess. Uh, the third is, um, like, I'm scared of, like, I just, I never, ever want to meet, like, a buzzard or, like, one of those mm. big desert mm. birds. Like, yeah. no, no, thank you. I don't like being around horses. Those mm. things are massive. Um, any bird that's got, that is that size to a certain degree with wingspan, wingspan. is just like, no, no, okay. thank you. You you just bet. You stay over there. I'm going to stay over here and not die. <laughs> Well, we have been going rather long, so uh-huh. we should wrap this up. But is there anything we haven't talked? We haven't talked about Liz's date. Yeah. Any quick thoughts on that? So good and sweet, and I, I'm glad she trotted out. <laughs> oh, Ellison is thirsty. Okay, more on that in a bit. Um, anything else? Um, I mean, I would have bolted to not just because of the Homeland Security thing, but also because of the... That thing with Tara was just like, yeah, no, I seem to be bombing this horribly, and I don't have enough experience to know that this woman is just dead facing me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that she was doing really well. Uh, you know, I also think she she would probably be miserable in that job, but uh, it does feel very probably. much like a um, Gloria like route. So if she ends up in a different direction, that will probably be better for her. Um. But we'll see. Allison, anything you want to say about this episode or anything you want to hint for future? And if not, what's our next episode title? I'll just give you the next episode title. However, I do want to point one thing out that I just learned in this moment, which gives us um, something always important when we're talking about Lodge 49, like a mysterious undercurrent of connection that's piecing our universes together. Um, And that uh, I just learned, I was today years old when I learned that Gary's last name is Green, meaning that there is a chance in some universe that the captain is future Gary Green from Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Which I love. I think that's my new headcanon, is Gary gets in the way, goes like lives a nice life, gets in the wave rider, goes back to 2016 or whatever, and um and starts an empire of some sort, and sits in a kiddie pool. Uh, nice. So the next episode title is something from nothing. I mean, that's the literal definition of alchemy. Um, it's not the literal definition, but it's a definition. Um, <laughs> But you also okay. can't do that. Dud is going works. to try to spin something from nothing to save <laughs> the lodge. I think one of the big questions I have leaving this episode is, given how absolutely uh, just radically honest Ernie has been with everybody in the lodge about all these things that have happened, is he going to do that again? Or is he going to make a different choice um, about all the stuff with Larry? And, uh, but I think Dud is, he's definitely going to tell Dud or Dud's going to figure it out somehow. And then that will be Dud's new mission to make something from nothing and save the lodge. That's my guess. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, something from nothing, I think will probably tie directly to the land development that they're in. Um, cause it's literally nothing. Um, 
Mountains. It's just a vast expanse of nothing unhabitable but maybe I mean, it's that's the how... captain's slogan yeah yeah it's his mantra is something <laughs> from nothing just um, out of the frame is where um lucifer got dumped um, <laughs> yeah just like right just to the left <laughs> uh, marcus says they'll find a secret room with enough money to save the lives you know what it could happen yeah. lots of secret rooms just avoid the one with the mummy cot i was promised secret rooms there's only been one so f- well two i guess but still they're like connected so it feels like one I want more secret rooms. Well, I mean, one of them did have a mummy cot in it. Corpus. Yeah. Corpus. Corpus. <laughs> I'm a mummy! Um, and I think with that, we will call it. Um, so we will be back on Wednesday talking about Lodge 49, Season 1, Episode 8, Something from Nothing. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks, Marcus. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.